Welcome to In the Key with NBA champion BJ Armstrong and sports analyst extraordinaire Gerald Brown. Join BJ and Gerald as they provide an insider discourse on sports, music, and the cultural beats of the moment. Here's your hosts, BJ Armstrong and Gerald Brown. Welcome, everybody. It's uh, In the Key. You know, we can't stop, won't stop. Gerald Brown, BJ Armstrong. BJ, uh, we have a little vacation. We went on vacation, but we're back and better than ever. How's your vacation been? I can't stop, Gerald. I won't stop. <laughs> vacation. What you mean a vacation? Where oh, am man, I you, going, man? You've been going to the gym and you've been working out. Like, I don't know. Are you making a comeback? I mean, hey. you're in the gym. It looks good, though, man. And I mean yeah. that. You look good. You're working out and everything like that. Oh, man. You know, it's good. You know, the summertime. You know, summertime used to be where you could take a break from from NBA, from basketball, but now it's a year-round thing. You know, we had Summer League last week. We have USA Basketball coming up this week. Before we know it, you know, we'll be right back uh, at it, and the NBA season is is right here, about six weeks away. BJ, is there such thing of too much basketball? Like, I mean, like, g- give me an example and talk about how, like, you guys, where I know that you and I are talking, and we talk often, off air, you talked about how, like, you know, after the championship runs, you guys were pretty much, I don't think you ever were faced with a game seven in that first three-peat of the three championships you guys had with the Bulls. But just talk about the fact that, and give us an idea in terms of what was that offseason like after playing so much basketball? Was it, you know, was it to a point, like, what would you guys do and would you guys get together during the course of the offseason? But just give me an idea of, like, the first championship after you guys dethroned the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and, 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 and you have the parade. What was it like for you? Well, you know, that was a different time. You're talking about in the early 90s and guys valued their offseason. And you really tried to let your body heal. You tried to take time off mentally. You just needed mentally, you needed a break. You know, physically, obviously, you needed a break. And uh, wasn't much of this off-season training like you see today with many of the guys where they're out getting, trying to get better and improve. And I think that came about because, you know, the guys were so young when they came into this league. You know, now you see, you know, so many guys training because they, you know, got to get caught up to speed. It's more... You, you know, you're looking at guys who are, are looking to improve their game. Well, you know, when we came in, we were just looking to maintain. Maybe you add a piece here, a piece there to your game. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the, the training that you have today where you're actually trying to develop players. So I think the developmental thing really started with the youth and the age that all of these guys were coming in the league when they were coming in so young. So, so I mean, obviously, do you transition back? I mean, clearly, you know, if you got a family, if you got obligations, you got to pay rent, you got to pay mortgage, you got to pay bills, you got to do, do all the different things that you don't really get a chance to do through a course of a season. Take us through what it was an off season like after winning that first championship, because you guys went deep into the NBA season. When would you pick up a basketball and what was it like? Would you guys get together with Mike and Scotty and say, hey, let's all get together and play some ball? Uh, it was it sort of a clock, if you will, mentally and, and, and physically that you had, you know, you know, pretty much that you would follow in terms of when you say, OK, you know what, let me go hoop and do some different things. What was that like? Well, like I said, many of the guys didn't play. You know, I didn't really play a lot in the summer. I would play just enough to maintain my conditioning. You know, you can condition all you want on a treadmill and running, but there's nothing like basketball conditioning. So. Playing to me was just getting up and down. I wasn't playing because I was trying to, you know, develop. I was just playing really just to get up and down the court so that my body would not be in shock from, you know, the first couple of days of training camp. For me, the, the, the summer, for many of the, the guys in, in that era, you know, what you did was you, you, you would condition yourself. And what I mean by condition yourself, you would train your body for this journey that you was about to go on. And, you know, I wasn't concerned about getting stronger, but just maintaining the strength to get through the season. Um, letting whatever I had going on, whether it was uh, maybe I had a, a thigh contusion or whatever I had going on, it's let myself heal as best I could before we would start again. Because, you know, back in those days, Drew, we would do two-a-days for the entire month. 
I remember that. October. Okay. It wasn't like, you know, you just do a two days for a month and then play. You would do two days for the entire month. So uh, it was really just preparing yourself. You worked at a pace. And it was just the NBA pace that you kind of learned how to brace yourself for where today you see guys really just going full tilt. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not here to say why that's get, they're getting injured at such a high rate, but you know, you got to rest. And uh, I just think you have to prepare yourself for the length of the season. And I don't think you really understand that until you actually go through it. So you mean to tell me like, okay, cause I'm trying to get specifics. I want no specifics into the Da Vinci code. It's like the La Costa Nostra. You see that? You know that? Mm. You see that? You think I could say that? La Costa Nostra of the Bulls. Like you guys are winning a championship. You play the Lakers, you finish up. Was there a situation with Chip Schaefer, the great Chip Schaefer trainer? Would he come to you guys and give you sort of a, a personalized workout plan. No, it wasn't. Uh, no, no, was, 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 you bar- was you barbecuing? Was no, you eating a barbecue? Wasn't, wasn't it? Wasn't any of that? You know, you finished in June. You basically had eight months to figure. I mean, eight weeks. You know, you basically finished up in sometime mid mid June, late June, or whenever the season ended. And then you had July, August, and then you was back in the gym. You know, getting ready because you had to prepare yourself for that. So. You know, the one thing that you learn, you know, over the years is you never let yourself get out of shape. So even though you weren't in basketball shape, we never let ourselves get out of shape. There wasn't any plan. There wasn't any, you know, you know, chip or any of the trainers. It wasn't any of that. You just kind of knew what you had to do, but you had a responsibility to show up and be a professional on Did day the chair- one. Did the championships and winning the championships sort of, uh, you, you know, evolve you guys into that type of mindset? Not to say that you didn't have that, but knowing what it takes, like, was it sort of a mental reminder that, okay, look, man, you know, I can't eat all that Popeye's chicken and stuff like uh, that in July, August. Was it a situation where mentally, or was it a situation where, you know, guys will call each other, check and see who's doing it? Well, you just got to remember, you, you, you look, every year somebody was trying to take your job, you know, and I think, you know, you and I always talk about, you know, everyone is edible. Everybody can be, can be replaced. And every year there were new guys coming in the league. That means somebody had to go. So you had a responsibility to be in shape. And I think when I came in the league, there was only 18 to 20 teams or so. I can't remember. Now there's 30 teams. So the competition was just different to, to maintain your job, keep your job. And it was just very competitive at that time. And um, so you just wanted to be ready when your number was called. And I think that was just the professionalism that that was permeated throughout the league at that, at that particular time. Everyone had to be ready to play and perform when your number was called. You know, we, we, we had Jamal Crawford on uh, a while back. And I think that I was so fascinated how you were talking about with Jamal, how you guys would get phone calls that he would be playing regular ball. He was hooping out in the park and all this other stuff because he is a, a ball player. You talked about an offseason. You might do a little shooting. You might play and stuff like that. Were you the type of guy that would go to the park or were you in there with that set? Because I remember years ago, Magic would have guys get together at UCLA and they would be sort of these – legendary runs and you know anybody that was somebody playing basketball you were going down there to um uh ucla's campus and uh you know and just playing you know yeah i I think most of the what has changed over the summer is the the age of the players i mean jamal was a one and done kid so you know as a you know 18 when you're 19 years old you have you're still trying to find out who you are what you are in this league so Jamal, as a young kid, I remember when, when we drafted him in there in Chicago, he was still exploring his game. He was still growing into his body. He was still trying to figure out who he was, trying to measure himself against guys who had been in the league. Once you come out to 22, 23, I wasn't really trying to do that. I was just trying to figure out how I was going to stay in this league for as long as I possibly could. It's just a different mindset. I wasn't trying to figure out who I was. Well, I'm saying, who are you? Who are you hooping against? Like, where would you go? Would you just just go put up some shots, or was it a situation where it was the game? Um, 
you know, I, I, I was fortunate. I grew up growing up in Detroit. I had a chance to, you know, play against, you know, Joe Dumars, play against Isaiah Thomas, Benny Johnson. So I was playing against pros and I saw how the pros trained and I saw how they were working, which I was able to say, you know, if I wanted to be in this league for 10 plus years, how was I going to be able to do that? And it wasn't going to happen with me trying to get better over the summer. It was just about me maintaining what I brought to the game and not only brought to the game, but really just maintaining who I was as a player so that I can continue to do that as long as I could at the highest level I could. So I I didn't, this idea of development wasn't something that you saw. You didn't get to the NBA and say, you know what, I'm going to be good. You were in the NBA. You had to be good in order to stay there or somebody else was going to replace you. So I was training like a pro when I came in the league because I wanted to stay here for as long as I could. But let's take it full circle and swing back to now, BJ. We talked about the start of this. We had the draft. We've had summer league. Uh, we're coming up on USA basketball. We know that the game is the NBA game in Africa, which I think is a great cause. On the surface, is there such thing as too much basketball? Is the NBA, uh, you know, and, which does a great job of 365 days of the year. And I will say, I think that in some regards, it is good. But like you said, with training camp starting in September and, you know, the season has started so early. Is there such thing as too much off-season basketball? Well, uh, again, we got to look at where the game is at. Today, the game is about developing young kids. So that's not going to change now. You know, that's where we're at. You're going to draft a kid who's 18, 19 years of age. He has to play. And you're not going to – we can't replace his youth with experience. The only way he's going to get the experience is go out and play. The one thing we can change is – is just put the premium on what's going to allow you to be a professional stay here, which is, you know, you got to perform. And um, if there's one thing I think, you know, we've kind of gotten away, gotten away from in the last 15 to 20 years is, is, is to say who can actually get the job done. And, you know, we always talk about who they're going to be, how much potential they have. This player is going to be in the future. Well, let's talk about the players that are going to, that's going to play and really get the job done right now. So I think uh, in the next probably five to 10, I'm saying probably within the next five years, you're going to see that because I see these young kids now are coming in with a different mindset and they're not, they're not just happy to get here. They want to make a mark here. And I think this next generation of, of young players that's going to come into our league are really going to set the stage. And I see some great young players and some great young talent coming in. So let's stay on the clock. And that's the segment right here you're dealing with in the key is everything we do is on the clock because you know what? The clock is ticking and we got to make sure we go ahead and value the possession and may more importantly have an effective possession when the clock is on. So we'll keep it moving, BJ. I said that I think that the guys uh, playing basketball and really having the NBA being talked about all year round is a great thing because for some reason it seems quite apparent that NBA ball players are less in the news for negative things as opposed to positive things, um, you know, and, and, and really, you know, them staying out of trouble as opposed to the other professional sports. But, you know, this offseason, BJ, was something that we talked about and we know not every, not all good, not all money is good money. And yes, it's not always, you know, about always about the money. But I've been surprised this offseason. We've had a lot of guys turning down money. You know, Kawhi Leonard, who didn't want to take the Supermax deal from the Spurs. He goes to the Toronto Raptors. He's been saying all along he wants to end up in L.A. We saw Tobias Harris, a young man, turn down an $80 million extension. He's looking for a max deal. Uh, You know, and then, again, Kevin Love resigns with, the Cleveland Cavaliers. BJ, are we getting to the point now that people are playing Russian roulette a little too much with their career, especially when the fact of the matter is we haven't seen that much success? What your thoughts on just the overall decision of a lot of these guys really turning down big money? Well, I wouldn't say so much turning it down. I just think, look, we don't know the entirety of the situation, Jerome. And, and that's the one thing as an agent, as a ex player that I've come to understand is that we don't have all of the information at our disposal to say what they're doing. 
Now, I would assume that if I'm going to turn down $80 million on this side, that maybe I got another deal that's even better or the same on another side. So I'm going to assume that they have something going on that at this point we don't know about. But looking at it from this perspective, without knowing any of the information, it seems a little odd. Um, and you and and you can see how this is playing out. I think the market they keep saying it's going to self-correct. You know, it's going to correct itself. Uh, this NBA market. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. You know, everyone is assuming it's going to happen, but you know, it hasn't happened yet. So we'll see, Juro. I, I, I've, you know, <laughs> when every time you see these guys like. Isaiah Thomas, and you see what happened to Rudy Gay, and you see what happened to the Marcus Cousins, and the list goes on and on and on. Somebody's going to get left out. And we all, you know, we know the stories where you, 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 you bank on yourself or you bet on yourself, and it works out well. But for everyone that it does and it works out well, there's always 30, 40, 50 guys where it didn't work out well. And true market value is what somebody is willing to pay you. And there's only so much money out here. And I keep saying this over and over again with the youth of this league, there's just not enough jobs now because everyone is so young. I mean, every year you're getting 18, 19 year old kids coming into this league. And then, you know, five years later, they're only 23, 24 years of age. So we don't, we don't know where this is going. I don't know how it's going to correct itself. Maybe they know something. I don't know. But certainly it's a trend that I would hope that, you know, the players that you mentioned, I hope it works out for them. But sometimes it doesn't, Jiro. Life can be, life can be, you know, it's hard out here, Jiro, but it's fair. And this, this, this market right now is, it's a tough market. And uh, we'll see how it's going to work in the future. Uh you're out in LA. Are people still playing? Uh, today was a good day. Is, <laughs> is people still playing? Today was a good day. And the only reason why I asked you that is because uh, I thought it was interesting. You said that that was a song that became almost the sort of anthem for the summer out in the West Coast, specifically LA with LeBron James settling in. Uh, and you told me to just say, you know what? He just kept continuously playing that today was a good day. You look at some of the other additional moves that they have made uh, with bringing in some of these other guys. We know about Lance Stevenson, uh, JaVale McGee. We know about him. And then I think recently Michael Beasley. Uh, is that still the song or is it sort of in a sense, BJ, from what you get around in the, you know, the greater Los Angeles area that they don't, fans don't really care what other moves are made. They just got LeBron James. Is that just a feeling that, again, it's still riding high that LeBron James is there? Well, you know, I was very fortunate. I played in a major market in Chicago. So I got a chance to see the game from, a, a, from different perspectives. You know, this is a star town, L.A., and – it's very hard to, to have a team out here without a star. And, you, and they, they have their star. I mean, they've always had, they had Jerry West, Kareem, Magic, Kobe, Shaq. Now they have LeBron. You know, LeBron is one of those players that, you know, that just comes around every so often, right? Um, now that they have him, they have pieces. And Lance Stevenson and all of these guys are pieces. Most of the players that come in this league are role players. We build them all as star players, but the, the truth of it is most of the players or 90% of the players that play in this league are role players. LeBron James is a star. And when you have a star, that forces the other players to be who they really are, which are role players, and, and he will put them in their right role. That's why it's important to have a star, okay? The most important player on any given team is the second-best player, Gerald, because the second-best player, if he believes he's the first, if he believes he's the best player on the team, you're going to have a dysfunctional team. 
no one who plays with LeBron James, probably with the exception of, of Kyrie Irving, thought they were better than LeBron James. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen was in his right role. Maybe Scottie Pippen is not the number one guy, but he is an incredible number two guy. Okay. Uh, that was the problem with Shaq and Kobe. Who was the number one guy? Who was the number two guy? Shaq is clearly a number one guy with the exception of finishing the games with free throws down the stretch, which made him and Kobe a unique pair because they both needed each other. Now, Kobe clearly went on to show that he was capable of being the number one guy on a full-time basis when Shaq left and, and, and did that and did it very well. LeBron James here in L.A. is going to put everyone else in their right role. So Lance Stevenson is going to be in his right role. JaVale McGee is going to be in his role. Now, who's going to fill that number two? We don't know that yet. But what we do know is that the role players will be in their role and fill their role, and LeBron James is going to be the star, which is a huge thing for any team where people, when the players actually define who they are on the team. So I think it would be a great move for him, for the Lakers, because the Lakers now actually have a team, and the only thing they're talking about in L.A. is how can they win the championship? And that's the narrative out here is, oh, now we have pieces to win a championship but do we have the right pieces? Think about that, Gerald. We've gone from not being in the playoffs to going, do we have the right pieces to, to compete for a championship? And that is the narrative out here in L.A. that everyone now is ready for the season because they feel that they can compete. And who knows? They have talent over there. And I'm just as excited as anyone to see how it plays out. Here on uh, uh, In The Key, Gerald Brown, B.J. Armstrong. And, again, it's a segment right here we call on In The Clock. So, you know, again, you got all this information. We're on the clock right now, and we're going to keep it moving. I'm going to throw out a written name, and you just tell me yes or no. Phil Jackson. Is he the guy that comes back and sort of rides in on the horse to save the day for the Lakers now that you got a quote-unquote star? I don't, think you, I don't think you do that. First, you got to figure out what you have. You know, we are a society now where we're always looking for a savior. Look, in the end, let's figure out what we have as a team. Let's figure out LeBron James, this is going into year 16. <laughs> okay, let's stop acting like, you know, we're into a rebuild situation. Let's figure out who's who and what's what. Right. Let's see where LeBron is at in year 16, okay? Because we've never seen a player perform at this level at year 15. We don't know what 16, 17, 18, and year 19 is going to look like. Let's see where the Western Conference is at. Last year was last year. This year is this year. The Warriors have played a tremendous amount of basketball over the last four years. Okay, and anyone who's won championships, multiple championships, knows that, okay, going to the NBA finals four, five, six years, that's going to pile up too. Okay, now we have a young, hungry team. When I say young, they're kind of new on the scene as far as championship, you know, aspirations, which is the Houston Rockets. But they're not a young group. Chris Paul is not like some young kid. You know, he's been around. Then they just, you know, look like Carmelo, James Harden. You know, he's got some miles on his body now. So, again, all of this plays itself out year in, year in and year out. But let's see what we have before we start saying we need this Bill Jackson or we need that. First, I want to see what I have because right now they have young players. When I say they, the Lakers have young players. Kyle Kuzma still got to figure out who he is in this league. Brandon Ingram's got to figure out who he is. Lonzo Ball's coming off knee surgery. Let's figure out who he is. How are we going to integrate these young guys with these older guys and figure out how we're going to play and all these different things? So that's going to take time. And that's going to, going to start with LeBron James. Hopefully they can win as they're learning. But before we start saying all of that, let's figure out who we are, who we are as a group. I think they have a terrific coach there in Luke Walton. I think he's excellent. But this is going to take time. Hopefully they get off to a quick start. 
But if they don't, you know, this is LA. They could move in a different direction, but I, I don't know how you add all these many, how, how you add this many pieces to the team and then all of a sudden expect it, but it's anything is possible. I mean, this, this is the new NBA. It definitely is, and it's in the key. And I think, uh, again, if you look at things, uh, BJ, uh, we, we on that clock, you know what I'm saying? And making sure that we utilize and value the possession. And next time we on this in the key, we're going to get into the real topic of offseason. Because you said something the other day that I kind of was saying it was a head scratcher. New York City basketball, Detroit basketball. We're going to go over that. And we got to get into that next time because I'm going to tell you right now, it was legends here. And I'm going to count Michael Jordan, even though he was raised in, in North Carolina. He was born in Brooklyn. But uh, that's, you know what, that's, you know, I'm disappointed in you to even say that, <laughs> to even say that. You, you know what, I'll let you, I'm going to let you get away with it. I'm going to let you, no, before I let you go, what you listening to, Gerald? Ah, well, you know, uh, a good friend of ours, Marlon Kraft, he, he's dropping gems, and I'm, I'm really excited. And, you know, uh, what, he, what, he's out, what he's got out there. But, you know, I'm trapped in the 90s, BJ. I'm trapped in the 90s. You got to let and it go, bro. Let that no, go. No, I'm not letting it go. I can't. It's so much music down there. It's like finding it for the first time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What you listening to? You know what I'm listening to today? Georgia and Muldrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dropping gems on here in the key. You That's know, right. You heard what I said. What's her name again? Georgia and Muldrow. We, why you do oh, that voice? Brilliant. Like brilliant <laughs> artiste. And, and what is she, an artist? Or she's a producer, though, right? She's a producer. Yes, she's yes. an artist. And you put her in that category with with the top of the top. Ooh, she is she is incredible. That's big shoes to fill, BJ. Hey, big she, shoes. She produced hip hop. She produced R and B. She produced soul. She produced jazz. She can sing. She can write. Our true talent. Please. We gotta make sure. Please. We got to get her on the show. Yeah, we definitely got to get on the show. We got to make sure you tweet some of that stuff out. Put that information out there, and we got to make sure we check that out because, uh, again, there's so much out there. I'm really excited about what Marlon Kraft has got. You showed me, the, again, a video. He's, he's got a video that's coming and stuff. He's got some shows. It's just a matter of time. Matter of time. Marlon Kraft, he's the real deal. He, he, You're not lyricist. telling me nothing I don't know. Yeah, I told a, you. I just want to know what you was listening to today. That's all. I want to know what you was listening to. You know, you Marlon Crab. You know, I'm I'm listening to I'm listening to Georgia. And you know what else I'm listening to? Oh, Red Man. <laughs> but you stay in the 90s somewhat. You stay in the 90s. Red it's Man time underrated? for Pharaoh. No, he ain't underrated. He ain't underrated. Just say you're not hip hop if you say he he's he, he's not recognized. Red Man is one of the he's one of the great. It's about time for Pharaoh Munch to come out with something. So what we're gonna do here is we always gonna make sure before we close it out what you're listening to, as we always wanna know from each and every individual that comes on the show, what you listening to, what you got on there right now, what you listening to, but also when we on the clock. And I think, BJ, we're on the clock with the possession time, and we got to make sure we have an effective possession. And I believe that, you know what? Our 24 seconds are up. <laughs> so I'm going to say it. Say something, kid. And you do something. And don't forget, man, you got to check out our interview with Bismack Biombo. Nobody beats the biz. Nobody beats the biz. It's in the key, man. We're back. We're off of vacation. And as BJ Armstrong said, you got say it again, BJ. Say it again. Say something. And make sure you do something. It's in the key. Peace. <laughs>
You know, Biz, you just got back from Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're doing some work with President Obama. Kind of, you do a lot of charity work all mm-hmm. around the world. Tell mm-hmm. us what you were doing and what you're doing in Kenya and you just returned back here to the States. Uh, so we were opening uh, a facility, uh, an education facility that uh, the Saudi cool, which is Alma, the Obama sister, uh, build the school and then obviously they were supported by Giant of Africa to also uh, or assisted by Giant of Africa to open a, uh, a sport facility which, which is just next to the school has a great view towards the city and, uh, and happened to have a chance and an opportunity uh, to, to do that with the, uh, the President Obama uh, wow. so uh, you know for me, for me I've always wished to, to meet you know, the president and kind of pick on his brand on, on on the leadership and all that. And I was, and then when he left the office, I was like, oh man, when am I ever gonna get to to, to meet him? And then when when I got an email about uh, going to Africa and opening the facility with him, I was I was really excited because not only I get to spend time with him, but I get to see how he manage his conversation when not to say too much. Uh, and overall, it was a great experience. Got to learn about Kenya as well, the difficulty, how they approach the, the future and how they're looking into develop uh, their country and their community and, and all that. So it was great for me and, and I had a great time, uh, great learning time that I had and uh, and to be able to share my story as well with them it was it was just unbelievable you know you get to live those places with memories that that's gonna last a, a lifetime every summer you you go back home and you do so much work and tell us about what you're doing in the mm-hmm. DRC I see you every summer you you have so much pride in in the work and the things right. that you do right share with us what is the, some of the things that you're mm-hmm. doing charity-wise, and, and, and how come this means so much yeah. to you back home? So uh, back home, when I first started, I started with about 20, 25 kids, and the idea was just to do basketball camps. So as you finish the first year, uh, you're looking at how can I grow? Because now a lot of kids want to be part of this. You know, I can only, uh, I cannot only do you know, the 25 kids. So we move up to 100, and then from 100, obviously, we start doing academies. And then from academies, uh, we build our first school that's up and running last year, and we built the first indoor facility on our school. The first indoor facility in the Congo. The first one? The first one. So uh, now we, uh, we're working. We just launched the construction of the second school. And uh, and the reason why uh, I'm kind of into education and, and, and I believe in developing the youth is because I think the problem that we're facing now are going to be solved by the youth. So when we talk about the future, I always look at who's the next, the, the guy that's going to come behind me. Like, in order for me to do what I'm doing now, I've learned from what people have done in the past and see the mistakes that I've made. How can I do better? And how can I correct those mistakes? So that's kind of how I see the youth. And that's why I believe so much in the youth for me to invest my own money in it. But uh, looking further, like now we start getting to uh, medical, like we're going to refurbish three hospitals this wow. summer. With, uh, Dikembe is doing the hospital. Dikembe has an hospital. Okay. But me, I'm not building hospitals. I'm not, I'm just refurbishing the okay. hospital that's all, already oh, okay. up and running. And then we're also dropping one medical pad in an area where we, we feel like we had to have an immediate impact just because of the community. If we want to look at to, to, to refurbish the hospital by the time we find a way to get all this equipment there. It's more time and then we have to invest more money so we're just going to drop a medical pad. Uh, they could have surgery in there. Uh, it has solar wow. power. It's 24-7 up and running uh, and depending on the emergency they can attend anything and hopefully in the future we can put internet in because it, it, it has 
the capability to put the internet so doctors can actually also uh, treat the patient online, having a nurse uh, there. So that's also another way that I kind of see that we could have impact uh, the, uh, the Congolese community. But at the end of the day, like, you know, building the school is just the beginning. The goal is to build the three schools so we are we we on the second school the goal is to be a three school and then build three colleges in three different cities so these kids we go from high school to college and then from college since now we start inviting investors to come i want investors to feel comfortable enough to hire these kids because it's right. at least 60 percent of those kids that come out of college that has no job so then what are they transferring into? So how can we find a way to balance that so that you know companies feel comfortable enough? Which is I also just partner with another company, it's a cell phone company. So they have to hire 15% of the kids that come out of college. And we created a website. They're gonna apply to that website, and then we're gonna have our people go and look with, uh, look into the the past, look into their life, and then look into their study, and we'll be able to approve that fifteen percent of kids that will get a job with them. So. Uh, that's kind of what I'm into in the Congo. <laughs> just, these are just small projects that you have going on right now. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but then you know I also traveled uh, in other places of the world to to interact with kids just because I believe, again I believe that these kids like for example I visited Thailand and then uh, I was at the at the border of uh, of Thailand and and Burma and then I went to visit a refugee camp so there's these kids that never left the refugee camp and then uh, for the first time they brought out twenty kids. Um, just to celebrate the Olympics and all that. So I had a chance to talk to these 20 kids, like some of them never wore a brand new pair of shoes. Kind of the same situation I wanted to accept. Me had the freedom right. to leave my country. They don't have the freedom. So as you speak to these kids, it's like, what is one of your wishes? Uh, I just wish that the words don't ever forget about me, even though I don't have my freedom, you know. And the school only go up to 12th grade. So, like, I like to travel also to interact with these kids because not only you get to know the story, the dreams, but you also get to see the, the difficult situation they put in and how can I implement some of the things that this government is doing that's really good and working for them into Congo, you know. How can I find a way maybe not to do exactly what they're doing because they're not having success in order for us to have success over here. So overall, like me traveling and and, and meeting with this head head of states from different places and, and get to pick their brain is, is just to find a way to continue to be part of, of a better generation and hopefully transform that next generation and give them more tools, more ideas. Because now I, I think for Congo, we need new ideas. Is we need new vision and right. that's our problem we need to have that mentality and once we have that mentality a decade from now i can look back and say you know congo we ain't gonna do much you know we have done like a couple thousand kids and those thousand kids are actually working for the benefit of the next person so long story short that's a little bit what biz is in and <laughs> well that's a lot of stuff biz uh <laughs> Biz, for us who've never been to, and let let just make the distinction. So you're from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, yes. the DRC, mm-hmm. and then Serge Ibaka is from the, the uh, Congo Brazzaville. Congo, yes. For us who've never been there, mm-hmm. and you always send me pictures, and it looks so beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Tell us if in two minutes. What could we expect if we ever had a chance to visit the DRC, your home? So if, for, don't forget about the food. Yeah, we love our I food. was going to start there. <laughs> First of all, the food is amazing. You know, like here you go to a store, you got organic food here and then you got whatever that's on the mm-hmm. other 
us is all organic. So food is amazing. Chicken tastes like chicken, fish tastes like fish. And then... <laughs> what are you oh, trying oh, to say, Biz? Oh, our, oh, our, our chicken don't taste like chicken here? Man, yet? I don't know what y'all got going on <laughs> over here. Uh, but uh, overall, it's just the beauty of the place. The place is beautiful. You know, you, you have mountains, you have the volcano, you have the park, uh, all in the same same area you know and we we have one of the biggest lake and i mean congo is just as beautiful if you want to go so far you can go so far if you want to go and spend some time in the mountains you you could do that if you want to spend time in a park which is i've done all the, all these things you could do that and and i think what's also excited about congo is people always talk about the negative thing mm -hmm. but there is actually more positive than the negative. The negative is just part of it. Just right. like every country that has its difficulty. So, like, I've done the gorillas, which is, I don't... Which, which I, scared the, <laughs> I mean, scared the hell out of me when you sent me those photos. Yeah. But, you know, that's just the first... 30 seconds when you get there, but after the 30 seconds, you actually get to enjoy it because you're looking at this creature. You, you ask yourself in a matter of second, this thing could destroy me, you know? So like, Congo is beautiful. And uh, and this summer I'm gonna do a safari. So I've done the volcano, I've climbed the volcano. Uh, I've I've seen the gorillas, I've slept in the park. and. Uh, and now I gotta do the safari. I've spent a lot of time in the beautiful lake. Obviously, the food is Monday to Monday, 24-7. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna start updating people with pictures, maybe. <laughs> do. It, it just looks incredible. And look, I, I can't wait to get there to visit. And I know you're going back yeah. to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this this week and mm -hmm. or, or next week, I should say, to play in basketball with our borders. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and and wh what's going on yeah. there with in conjunction with the NBA. So basketball with our borders, there's the, the game that the NBA has put, which is African players get to compete against uh, world players. So it's an African team versus the world team. But uh, but the game itself, one I think is 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 to promote the game in Africa to bring the game towards the people because when when you look at uh, the business side of the NBA, the NBA has done Europe, they have done uh, Asia, you know, they, here in the US, well established, South America and all these places. But now when you look at like, what, what, what's the next project for the NBA? Obviously Africa hasn't been developed. So you're looking at Africa as, as the future of basketball, because now you have more and more African players that start coming out of uh, Africa. But basketball without borders also give young kids a chance to interact with professional coaches and players. So like they watch us a lot on TV, but now they get to help us helping them improve their game and the good ones get an opportunity to come and get good education. So at the end of the day, I think for, for, for the NBA, you know, the game itself is, is promoting basketball throughout Africa, but most important is kind of helping us getting close to our fans that we don't get to spend a lot of time with them. They, they don't get a lot of opportunity to see us. And, uh, and also for us, also as players, we get to connect with other coaches, other players. Like like last year, Kyle Lowry and Kemba were there, both of my teammates and friends. Uh, one ex-teammate that... So anyway, that's, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of ex-teammates... Ex-teammate, uh, present teammate, ex-teammate. Oh, shit. You know, quick, quick story. So, you know, I think we touched on this a little earlier. You do a basketball camp yeah. back home. And you sent me, Ben sent me a picture of your basketball camp. Mm -hmm. And you are, what, 6'10 or so. Yeah. And I noticed you had all these kids around you. And I was like, was this superimposed? It was like, I don't know, 100 kids or so you had at the camp. And there must have been 60 or 70 guys the same size yeah. built just like you yeah. who had never played basketball mm -hmm. before. Biz, what are they? What are they doing over there? It's just all of these athletes. Just the food, man, is organic. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could show. I wish the people had an opportunity, the listeners, to see. I mean, it was like 
it was like 60 or 70 of the same built yeah. just like you long athletic but they never played basketball i know that's why i said you know like the future is africa but at the same time it's like like for me i didn't start playing until 12. so like before that i was playing soccer so now even though we put academies in places to limit those problems you want these kids to start in early age like we put summertime program summertime camp so that kids can start working at an early age but i mean we we have a lot of talent but now it's just that we have to find a way to put a good structure that's actually going to be sustainable for a long period of time because what, what, what we don't want to do is just you know go in there every summer do a basketball camp and then leave so when we leave they will have about 360 days what do they do during that 360 days so right. that's that's when the idea of having uh, an academy in place came in so now that we have established academies these kids can actually continue to work and improve the game so we know like when i go back in summertime they're far ahead of the game so it's only so much you can help them or now the next stage would be just to spend time with them and talk to them and pick their brain and see where they are mentally biz you know when we first met you shared one of the most incredible stories and i hope you would feel comfortable sharing it here tell us your journey how yeah. a young man from the Congo yeah. has the dream to play in the NBA. Right. And tell us the journey, how you got there. I mean, right. it's one of the most incredible stories I've heard. Mm. It's a human story. I always tell you, I think it's a movie. I think it's something that's just like the perseverance, the story. Right. Tell us your journey to how you got to Yemen. Right. From the DRC and how did this all come about? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I started playing at 12 and uh, and at, at 14, I was getting really good and I was one of the top kids and um, and I started taking it serious. And at, a year later, at 15, I kind of started the conversation with my dad, like, you know, if, if they could let me leave because I wanted to, to become a pro and just give it a chance if, if, if it could actually work out then, you know, I can shape my whole life into a professional athlete. Uh, so it, was, it took about a year for my parents to make a decision. So at 16, uh, when I turned 16, we just started school early September. Uh, I was leaving. So I started, I actually was going to school, but then I, I, know, I also knew I was leaving to become a pro. So... Uh, we took a bus from uh, Lubumbashi, which is the city where I'm from, to Zambia, from Zambia to Tanzania. And in Tanzania, we, we stayed there for about uh, a week and a half or so. But one of these days, the guy that was with us was supposed to cross the border to go to Zanzibar. And Zanzibar is a small island where he had to take the visa for Yemen. Uh, so as he left, to go get the visa. Um, at night, we, we had uh, the immigration come and check us out. I don't know if it was a coincidence or whatever, and uh, and ask for our passport. So they, they thought, like, you know, we're running from Congo for hunger and all these things. So long story short, they, uh, they took us in, and we thought, hey, you know, probably just gonna have to sign some papers and go back to the hotel and sleep. And then as we got there, uh, they say sign here, sign here, sign here. You gotta take them in, and then when when they said take them in, I said, "Should I look like a jail over there?" Golly! So from that moment forward, you know, you kind of, you know, your mind is like, "Shit!" I went from pursuing my dream to being in jail. So like, then you're asking yourself all these questions, like. Am I ever gonna make it? Was this even a good idea? You know, like, should I even be doing this? And long story short, we stayed there from about, I think, uh, 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. Like, we had no food, obviously, no right. water. And, 
and it was just like this disgusting place with the toilets there, like people pee there, you can flush the damn things. Ah. Anyway, so when I got out of there, we spent a few more days in Tanzania because the guy came back with it with our passport, but then he had to leave the next day, but with notes from the embassy. So uh, we stayed there for two days, and then we finally got to Yemen. So in Yemen, we had to do the process of the visa again to go to Qatar because that, that was our first destination. But as we were in Yemen and the, the, the issue of the visa to go to Qatar was taking longer and longer, and I was already working out there in, in, in Yemen with the team. So I uh, uh, had a conversation with the coach and then he was like, look, I know you guys are waiting for your visas to go to Qatar, but we could offer you one year there, you play here, you have fun, and then if you want to live next year to go to Qatar, you can. Uh, so they offered me a deal, it was like 500 bucks, like, no, 600 bucks, like to me. I was like, why, why do I tell my dad, you know? <laughs> like, like, I got to pay my food with 600 bucks and I got I to gotta leave. So like, Is that well, 600 bucks for the year or 600 bucks no, for, a for a month? Okay. Yeah. And then for food was because I, I, I didn't know. And you're 16. And I was 16, yeah. So like, that's the moment where you realize like, oh shit, I'm actually... I actually got to take care of myself now because you always have mom there or dad there, you know. You ask questions, they'll tell you this or they do this for you. So long story short, I, uh, you know, I had to grow faster. You know, I used to play video games and then when I got there, I had to stop playing video games because now I had to start thinking big, like, how can I, how can I learn? And then I start reading books. So then from there, you start understanding more you know, but the process becomes successful and and how important it is to take care of yourself. You know, the things you say, the conversation you have with people goes a long way. So therefore, uh, you know, uh, they give me one, one bedroom. Since I decided to stay there, they give me one bedroom. Um, and then and then we started the season so we went to jordan we had a it's like they, they have this asian clubs competition they do so the first club mm -hmm. in each country we compete and then the winner so we were going to jordan that was our first that was our first um our first country uh, and then uh, I was competing against a team in Jordan. It was called Zen or something like that. It was coached by Mario Palma. So uh, I had this crazy block, and then Mario Palma was literally behind. Their bench was on, on the right side, so it was behind me. But the guy was shooting free throws. He was like, uh... That is not a foul. And I was laughing. I said, shit, it's kind of interesting. This guy is not my coach. He coached the other team, but he said, it's not a foul. Okay, maybe because we're losing by 20. So I laughed. I said, all right, cool. And then he said, how'd you get to Yemen? I said, playing basketball, obviously chasing a life or a career. And then he asked me how old I was. I said, I was 16. He said, 16, are you sure? I say, yes. Uh, <laughs> let's talk after the game. So then after the game, yeah, we had this long conversation. He was asking about the scenario of how I got to Yemen, what I was doing there. So then he said, look, I, I could actually help you. I, could, I think I could help you. I don't know what you're doing in Yemen, but I can help you. So he took my email. We exchanged email. I emailed him, and then uh, he emailed somebody in in, uh, in Spain. Uh, and um, and then the ex-agent, you know, flew to, to Yemen, sat down with me, and then Mario sent him a video and stuff. And then it was like, well. If you go leave next week to go back to Congo, we get your visa to come to Spain and then you start your training in Spain. So since the season was almost over, uh, I think a week before the season was over, I left. Uh, I actually went to the airport. I thought I could leave without a visa. 
but I in Yemen you need a visa to get in and you need a visa to get out. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes sense. I, I got to the airport and they say you need a visa. I said, visa for what? They said to leave. Oh, it happened to be in a time when my great grandpa passed away. So I, I had to go back to the team and tell them, look, my great grandpa passed away. Because I never met my uh, my my grandma and my grandpa. I only grew up with my great-grandpa and my great-grandma. So I had to go uh, to the funeral. It, it was kind of a perfect moment. So I was, they were like, okay. So they give me the visa, went back to Congo, got my visa, spent time with my family, and obviously the whole grandpa thing. Uh, and then from there, a week, Two weeks, two weeks in Victoria, where I was training and all the 30 teams come and they were like, man, these kids cannot play. This kid is not good enough. Um, and then I went to Malaga, spent two weeks. And then even them, they consigned me. So I was like, oh, well, so what's there left? Like I left Yemen to come here and then. So then one team, close to Madrid offered me a one-year deal. Right, you're in Spain now. That's that's what you, I'm That's how you get to Spain. Yeah. So that one team offered me a one-year uh, one deal of 500 euros. So um, my dad asked me, well, how was the deal? I said, well, they offered me 500 euros. So he said, hey, look, you trust yourself more than anybody. You give yourself a chance, and then let's see what happened at the end of the year. So they were working out. Uh, and then they told me I was gonna play with the junior team. So they were working out with uh, they were working out with um, uh, a player that was supposed to play in the third division. So uh, I, I just happened to walk in the gym just like this, and I was like, "Hey, did, do you mind if if I jump into your workout?" Because it was a big guy. So the coach was like, yeah, yeah, come in, join. And then after we play, and then it's like, you guys play one-on-one. So we play one-on-one, and then it was like, what team did they tell you we're going to play with? I said, the junior team. He said, they got to be out of their minds. I'm going to call the GM, mm. and you're going to play with me. Wow. I said, oh, well. And then they still put me with the junior. I, I play against Lucas, Lucas Nogueira. Okay. I played with him. That was my only game with the junior. And I had like 35 points, 20-some rebound, <laughs> 15 blocks, and everybody was like, you can't play with the junior. Right. So well, when I first came here, you guys say play with the junior. So therefore, I went and played with the junior. So the coach of the third division was like, uh, I'm going to keep you with me. But then the coach of the fourth division, because uh, in Spain, they have like different teams uh, uh, below the first team. So it's like right. an NBA team with a G League and then another league below the G League and all that. So uh, I played the fourth division and the third division that year. And then the following year, uh, I played the third division and I was practicing with the first team. And in January, one player was getting bought by another team. So since they were looking for somebody else to fill his gap while they were looking, the coach was like, hey, you're already practicing with us. I'll give you a chance to come and play the games. And then I say, he's uh, not going to hurt me anyway. And then by the time he played, he was like, I think we're going to keep you for the rest of the season. So, as they say, the rest is history. But how many years did you actually play in Spain? Two years? Uh, two years, yes. And then two years. Then you get drafted. Yeah, then I came to the Hoop, Hoop Summit. Yeah, the Nike Hoop Summit. Yeah. You get drafted. I get drafted by Charlotte. Charlotte. And I had minus something in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> That's another conversation. You get drafted by Charlotte. Yeah. You play in Charlotte for the for first four time. years. Four years. Four years. And then then I you left go off Charlotte, Charlotte. Go to. I go to the, the north side. Go to the north. We the north. <laughs> we the north. <laughs> play in Toronto. Play in Toronto for one year. Then you go the last two then years I, in Orlando. Then the last two years in Orlando. And then you now you got traded. So how is it now? You just this summer you got yeah. traded back to Charlotte. Yeah. How was that, and what, do you, what, what, what what's your expectations? I mean, on paper, Man. you guys like you're gonna have a really good team, and yeah. what what are you expecting? 
my expectations are good, but it's just the way I find out. Like I got traded because it's my first time. You know, I was I was in Paris, right? And uh, yeah, and your agent, who some guy <laughs> called you in the middle of the night and told you you got traded. Yeah, I, I remember some that. guy named my agent name is named BJ Armstrong. <laughs> I was asleep. I woke up at six o'clock, and I look at my phone. And I said. I got a meeting at eight, but what time is it? Six o'clock. BJ Armstrong never called me five times. He called me today <laughs> five times. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> then I start looking at my text. Friends, text, text, text. Campbell Walker, two text messages. Okay. Shit, who's next? Shush. <laughs> Cody Zeller? Cody Zeller text me? Oh, man. Keep going down. Buzz. The assistant GM texted me. I was like, okay. And then I had a text message of the equipment manager and the security. I was like, okay. I hope this is not what I think it is, but I think I know exactly what it is. So before I open the text messages, I'm going to make sure I call this gentleman that called me five times. I never <laughs> called me five times before. So I pick up the phone. I'm for sleep. I'm for wake. Hello? Yo, Biz. You just got traded, man. Back to Charlotte. Yeah, that's kind of how that conversation went. So, <laughs> and you were in Paris. I was in Paris, so I'm like, okay, who they got? <laughs> Good. Okay. Now I got to call him back. Well, because at the beginning, I'm thinking like, man, I'm back in Charlotte. This is going to be interesting. It's homecoming. I'm excited. Right. But then I said, wait a second. Like, I want to win now. Yep. Like, do we have enough to win? Then when I talked to Kemba a little bit, I was like, okay, I think I have a good fit. But plus, Kemba is my brother, you know? Yep. So, like, the text message I got from him that was also motivated, it was like, you know, my brother is back. So, for me, as a big, when you have a guard that you can rely on, you can trust, it makes your job easy. So, therefore, like, for me, what is my, my expectation? I think we're going to compete to be in the playoff and then once you get to the playoff then we can figure out the rest of the recipe because Mm -hmm. you know I I think the season and the playoff are two different beasts the season is one thing and the playoff is another thing so when it comes down to the playoff I know we can figure out that part I'm not worried about that part my only concern is how can we uh, keep our team healthy uh, because we have enough veterans Yep. that actually understand what winning is about and uh, enough competitor, you know. I've, I've played with like five guys that are still on the team uh, that I know very well. So it's it's also easier for me to integrate the team, you know. Uh, and you, got, you guys got uh, Tony Parker. Exactly. And we just got Tony Parker, okay. which is, he has win championship, you understand. We, yep. The coach come from a great organization, organization that he, he also understand that. So you have Batum who has competed in the playoff. Kemba is a winner. You know, Gilchrist, Marvin, Cody, Kaminsky, or like all of them, Jeremy Lamb. So I feel like, yes, we have an opportunity, but now it's like how quick can we get on our feet as soon as the preseason starts. Right. So probably before the preseason starts, we all going to start going back to town and playing together and having this conversation because the sooner we can engage this conversation, conversation the better off we are because now it's about winning forget about the other stuff now it's about winning like people keep saying the east is easy yes the east is easy until you don't get in the playoff then you figure the east (laughs) is not as easy so so first for us our job is to get the mind right get the body right summertime you get you do all these things and then once the season starts it's go time and i think uh for us we, we we have enough uh, right, Pepper. We should make the playoff. Yes, you should. But now is how do we focus one game at a time? Because now I ju- I just gotta smell the playoff. I'm shit. Once we in there, I'm not worried about right, right, who I'm right. playing against. I, I just want to be in there. Yeah. Get me there, and then we we'll figure out from there. For sure. So, I mean, look, I I I'm gonna say here. I think you guys should definitely be in the upper echelon mm-hmm. of the of the Eastern Conference with your roster currently. Yeah. But you know, you need your health. Mm-hmm. But all the the veterans that you have, mm-hmm. the coaching, mm-hmm. I think you guys would definitely be in the playoffs. So I'm holding that 
I'm holding you to that. Get to the playoffs this year. I'm um, I, I, I'm I'm saying it right here on in the key. You heard it here first. <laughs> Me, me, I put my time and my work in. That's one thing, you know, it, it, it can never worry about me. And I think, like, this is such a unique opportunity for me because, you know, a long time ago, in February, we were joking with MJ, you know. Right. And it was like, I'm, I'm going to trade back for you. I'm like, yeah, but... That was at All Star. It was All, the All Star weekend. Yeah, yeah, we were at a All Star weekend, party. Yeah. We were laughing. It was me, Kemba, and MJ. And I said, "You gotta come home, man." I was like, eh, I don't know, man. I think I'm I'm better off." But then, like now, to be able to go back in that situation as a better player, uh, as more mature person, right? Uh, that I also now that I'm established in the league, understand things better. I think it's going to be exciting because when we first got drafted, they were just making the playoff the year before. And and a bunch of guys got traded. A lot of good players got traded. Gerald Wallace got traded. Right. Steven Jackson got traded. So all this trade they made was in order to get good picks. So therefore, now I'm more excited because if we get to go back to the playoff, then I can have a story to tell. We started from the Bobcats to back to the Hornets. And uh, actually, we went from the Bobcats to, to the Cats to the Hornets. <laughs> and and, now, and now, now, now I'm back. So I, I'm excited. I look forward to it. And... Uh, and you know it, it should be excited. It should be excited for everybody. Uh, is new coaching staff. Uh, they have changed trainer as well. And uh, some of my guys that I'm going to miss. But I think all this change for for good reason. Uh, they want to improve um, the organization. They want to win. I think that's very important for yes. an organization. If an organization is thinking towards winning. Well, you with MJ. You know MJ exactly. <laughs> clearly wants to win exactly and uh I, I think it's a great situation i was really excited for you i'm excited for you this year and i'm excited i know you don't have a lot of individual you always team 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 mm -hmm. but i think this is an opportunity where you could be defensive player of the year i think this is an opportunity where you could really integrate what you do into this group oh, it's yeah. a veteran group it's a team that i think will appreciate what you bring to the game mm -hmm. And I think the way the game is played for bigs like yourself, who can rim protect, defend multiple positions, I think this is a great situation. So I'm really excited for you this year, and um, I think it's going to be. I think you guys are going to have a great season. I'm excited. I hope they look forward because me. By the end of the season, it's going to be a different conversation, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Biz, uh, before we let you go here, a random question: How many languages? Can you speak? How many languages do you know? Few of them. Few. Few. Uh, Swahili, Lingala, uh, French, a uh, little bit of English, and a, and a lot of Espanol. A lot of. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Espanol. A lot of Espanol. Espanol. All right, so that's fine. That's good. Well, hey, big fella, I know you. Uh, you know you've been working hard. You, you you're in great shape. It's July. It's July. It makes it's, no difference, man. And, uh, they want the biz in shape. Then you're going to get the biz in the great shape. Big fella's <laughs> going to be there. But I appreciate you taking the time again. Thanks uh, for uh, stopping by, hanging out with us here in the key. Appreciate it. All the, the best. Key. In the key. And uh, safe Check. travels. And we'll be, checking, uh, we'll be uh, checking on you soon. Appreciate y'all, man. Thank you for having me.